the Attack and Release Show. My name is Matt, and I am joined today and every day by my good friend from Nashville, Sam Moses. Hi! Can't wait to hear that Nauta tune. That was a different one. <laughs> Today's episode, I don't know if it's requested, if it's been a long time in the, in the making, but today's episode we are calling Why You Can't Make Things Loud. And I don't know, it's a it's a episode on loudness. It's an episode on loudness in 2022. It's also an episode on does it actually need to be that loud? Mm-hmm. So and like how loud is too loud. So but before we do that, I'm gonna kick it over to Sam with some housekeeping. Sam! <sighs> Matt! Take us away. What's that? What? Oh, wow. Do we have right? any jingle? I don't know. <laughs> I, we'll have you to don't see. Don't stress yourself and do that. I, I'm thinking about a new jingle, but I really still enjoy kind of like the Price is Right vibe we have. So, uh, might just I keep mean, rolling it's with that. Legit. But, jumping into housekeeping, my dearest uh, listeners, friends... Thank you so much for listening to this episode. It is a gift. Um, we've noticed a uptick uh, in people sharing our podcast on Instagram, which thank we send you. out a huge thank you. We're so grateful for that. Uh, screenshotting the episode, posting it on your story, then we reshare it. We cross market with everybody. It's starting to uh, grow the community, also get other people out into the community. So if you have time this week, which I know you do, um, in between watching cat videos or people failing or whatever you like <laughs> to watch, take, I just need 30 seconds. I need your help. I need 30 seconds. I just need you to screenshot an episode you're listening to or one you're on, post it on Instagram, tag me at most mastering, tag Matt for the record mastering. Is it for the record mastering or just for the record? Sorry, I just drew a blank. Uh, for the record mastering. <laughs> for the record mastering. Couldn't remember if that was on the end or not. Is it just Moses or is it Moses mastering? It's Moses mastering. It's I just Moses? Too. It's Moses mastering. At Moses okay. mastering. At Moses mastering and at for the record mastering. Screenshot, tag us, we'll reshare it. Helps us a ton. Um, and it helps spread the podcast, helps spread the community that's involved in it, all of y'all. And we are so grateful that you are doing that. Many, many, many thank yous. Peace and blessings. Housekeeping out. Boom. That was fly. Yo, y'all, thank you for sharing on Instagram. It's been pretty nice to see the the uptick in that. And um, also seeing a bunch of people who we normally don't interact with kind of coming out of the woodwork and saying hey. And we really, really appreciate the support. So thank you very much. Um, So... Why you can't make things loud? I kind of say that in a soft voice. <laughs> Should the intro just be like obnoxiously loud? Could be. I think I did that on one of our loudness. I think I you ended did as it well. in like a, a, a gritty dubstepy thing. It was like techno-y. Yeah, I liked it. I thought it was pretty cool. <laughs> so why don't you kind of take the reins on the first point? We can dialogue. We can monologue. Uh-huh. We can do whatever on a log. So. <laughs> It's like Dr. Seuss. Whatever on a log. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know a lot why. of Dr. Seuss in my house. That just sniped me. <laughs> there you go. And we're ready for it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Take why, us away. Why you can't make it loud. Um, so, my friends, 
This is a question we get asked a lot at the mastering stage, of course, which is make it loud, please. Make it the loudest song out there. Please make it louder. Revision number one request is for me to make it louder. Why isn't this as loud as XYZ song? And um, I feel like I've gotten a really good understanding of why things sometimes sound louder than other things. And um, I've also want to say first that loudness is very important. Um, getting things loud is important in our current market because it's what people like to hear overall. It's still a thing that matters to people. Um, and really, I think when we're talking about loudness, it boils down to consistency. So we've talked about before, compression makes things more loud more often. We're going to keep beating that into your head for 2022. At least I am. And... Um, the average consumer uh, wants to listen to things that are consistent. And so loudness goes hand in hand at this stage with compression limiting, which makes things on average more loud more often. And so that is really important to the consumer. Um, loudness is super important because of the type of playback systems we have, which are smaller speakers that can't handle necessarily a ton of dynamic range or frequency. Um, response, which is something I continually think about speakers. I'm kind of obsessed with speakers and how they work and how they push air and how they react to frequencies and buildups and things of that nature. And a song, um, the, the, the amount of loudness it has will be dependent on how speakers work, on how speakers move air. And so most people consume audio on small earbuds or they consume it on iPhones or Bluetooth speakers or really consumer type speakers. And it's kind of always been that way or you're in your car. And so um, things when they are on average more consistent, more loud, more often, then the speakers are working more consistently um, at a certain, um, they're pushing air more consistently, consistently more often is basically kind of the uh, parallel to that. And um, for me, that gets into consistency goes hand in hand with balance. So if you think about balancing on a tightrope or balancing on something, you really can balance well when you are consistently making the same moves, consistently kind of, I imagine myself on a tightrope or on that gymnastic beam, which is incredible to watch with my arms out, walking on it. And the way I stay balanced is by being consistent with my arms, kind of counterweighting my movements and keeping myself consistent. You don't try you to walk. on a balance beam? <laughs> What's that? You ever been on a balance beam? Probably when I was like eight at like some birthday party. <laughs> At a gymnastics place that we have all it's had that birthday party, like the actual ones. Like my sisters used to do gymnastics, and I yeah. go on those things and be like, "Holy crap!" Yes, it is. I mean, falling from anything is nerve wracking, even if it's a few feet. Um, even doing the splits on one—that's what I'm more afraid of. Yeah, never done that. <laughs> never fell. All right, I'm sorry. But I just picture, you know, when you approach a, a balance beam or something, you don't go in like swinging your arms around, thinking that'll be a good approach. Um, to, to staying balanced and staying level. And so that's kind of how I think of audio. Like you don't, I think part of the reason why um, dynamic range, huge dynamic range isn't as popular anymore is because um, it just doesn't 
sound as good, controversial statement probably, sound as good to the consumer at the end of the day. And I'm talking about consumers, the audience that listens to the music, not us on our end who will debate and fight each other about dynamic range versus loudness till the end of time uh, in audio. But the consumer, I think, is very picky and very concerned about things being, in theory, somewhat consistent. And with that, I know I've said before, too, like, the consumer listens in blips and boops and Instagram to phone to blah, blah. And so they're not necessarily super hyper-focused, but I know overall people want a consistent experience of playback. And so for me, it's all about balance. And with balance, uh, I'm talking about EQ balance. EQ balance is super important to me. Why can't you make it loud? Most mixes I get that don't get loud are because they're out of balance. Um, the low end is too much. The top end is too much. There's no mid-range. There's no body. And so when things are out of balance, when it comes out of a speaker, it's coming out of a speaker essentially out of balance. And so you can, um, you can have a song even be on the meters very compressed but still sound quiet because it is out of balance and it's not taking advantage of where speakers really produce sound, which is, you know, it's kind of that mid-range, low-mids to high-end, which is where almost every speaker lives, which is why NS10s were so popular for so long and still kind of are. But it has to do with finding that balance of where does the meat and potatoes live in the song and how do we best uh, recreate that, balance that out so that it translates and flies out of the speakers. And that's something I've spent years on doing now is trying to figure out how do I, whatever mix is sent to me and most clients want it to be loud, how do I get it to fly out of the speakers more? And that comes from proper EQ balance. Most things that are not loud are not balanced. They get that way because people have either poor sourcing, poor uh, mixing, or their room is a mess. And so what they're hearing isn't actually what the song sounds like, which is probably the number one thing. Mm -hmm. But you can go back to our previous episodes on room acoustics for that. So I'm going to hit pause there. That seems like a good spot. I want to hand it back to you. Uh, volley, rally, volley back. Oh my gosh. <laughs> sports, <laughs> sports ball is being hit back to Matt. Use your words. Yeah. <laughs> and the sports ball is now in your hand. What a touchdown of a home run. Um, as far as balance, like if, if I wanted to touch on balance at all, um, it's like, it's a, it's like every joke that we have as far as uh uh I think it's I think it was in the like like things that are wrong with like general mixes that we get that we're fixing or uh I, I think I teed you up one time. I'd be like, what's your number one complaint about mixes you get and why is it low end? <laughs> um Yes, I remember that. And in all honesty, I think you hit the nail completely on the head, and I don't think that a lot of people are really equipped and not saying that you're not capable. Capable and equipped are two different things. Um, everybody is capable of monitoring and having pretty solid sounding low end. Um, but most people aren't going out of their way to make sure that they can accurately monitor it. And so it's like my sub 
I know per at least the manufacturer's specs that it goes down to, it says 18.7 hertz without distortion. And so anything below that, if I'm hearing it, it's generally distorted. And now they say, it's like, oh, well, you can't hear, you can only hear 20 to 20. And it's like, okay, well, we'll have that conversation later. <laughs> um, but you know what? I'm at least able to monitor down to some of those uh, lower frequencies. And so... I can tell you that if you could hear what I'm hearing, chances are you probably would not make that decision because it's not really that good of a decision when you hear something and it's just kind of flubbing around. So <clears throat> I would say low end is definitely like the big one. Also, low end is just eating up just tons and tons and tons of headroom yep. uh, in mixes. And then when it comes to masters, it's like everything. It's like if you get a if you get a mix... No, let's call it at minus 10 RMS, just gonna like kind of pick an average here. And it's got a and it's got a thwomp, like another, like, I don't know, if it's gotta sing with a lot of the other pop stuff, it's gotta make up for a lot of I don't know, a lot a lot of room that's not there. And, and that's not a bad thing. That's just kind of like mixed to master. Um, but the bad thing is, is that the first thing that is going to hit that level range where we would like to finish everything at is that low end because it's eating up so much headroom. And so whenever things hit a limiter, whenever anything clips a converter, uh, et cetera, it's going to be that low end first. And the first things that hit a limiter are limited and they're removed. And nice things about, uh, for instance, like that Fab Filter, that Pro L2, is you have those like different little attitudes that you can have. I think that the plug-in alliance limiter also has like little tiny behavior things you can do. And a handful of limiters have that. Um, and kind of listening to the delta or the information that is removed on those limiters, I can at least unintelligently deduce without reading the manual, because who reads those? I bet a lot of people read those. <laughs> it's like you spend $200 on a plug-in, you should probably know how it works. Um, I can unintelligently deduce that the behaviors of each of the little character things of the limiter uh, are essentially removing less of certain areas and more of other areas. So with transparent, I say like on like the Pro L2, it's trying to preserve a lot of the top end. And so low end's gonna go a little bit, but it's gonna try to preserve what it can. As far as like say like the modern, I've kind of noticed that a lot of like the shinier top end starts to go a little bit and the low end is preserved. And so obviously this is all catered to and um, can be completely null and void by the attack and release settings and um, how far you have the look ahead and all of that stuff. But if you if your low end is just the loudest thing there, it's going to be the first thing. And not saying the low end shouldn't be the loudest. The low end is fantastic when it's loud. Um, but it has to be intentionally loud and intentionally accurate in that area. And so... Um, just know it is going to be the first thing that hits a limiter. And if the rest of the song isn't balanced appropriately, then it's going to hit it in an inappropriate manner to where you're going to end up losing a lot more low end if you really are going for that level increase, unless something happens either on the mastering end creatively, um, which I don't know if we, I don't think we should talk about that in this episode, 
or if a mix recall is in order. So there's there's a few other things that uh, can be taken into consideration. I also think, to continue my monologue, uh, whenever you get a song, you should... I feel like you should always, when l- doing your initial first listen, you should really ask yourself where, like, at least to me, I don't know, I kind of like, I kind of talk to... Uh, talk to the music and it's like where do you want to go like where do you need to end up to be where the client's going to be most happy so this morning I was working just on a single that's uh, just a I'm assuming it's kind of kind of sound like a baby grand and uh, a vocalist and it was kind of like I don't know if I had to like kind of put it in like a like a pack of I don't know, like like genre eyes some people. It's like kind of like in between like like a mellow Elton John song and like an Adele song as far as that's concerned. And it's like, okay, well I know this band has a lot of other things that are pretty darn loud. And so this kind of needs to hold its own, but I mean you're not going to take like a ballad and crank it up to like minus 3. You can uh, and different situations call for different things, but there's also a conversation that needs to be had, at least on the mastering end. And you don't have to con- you don't have to consult the client on this. If you have them fill out like a little bit of like a checklist or something like that initially upon submitting the mix to you, you should kind of know the general realm of where things should go. And so there should be a question that you ask is like, you know, what's actually the appropriate loudness that this should be delivered at, and I think it like whenever the vocalist would kind of like push things, you could kind of hear some of the preamps. Um, it, it was either like a preamp or it was something on a digital end, um, like an like an added effect of like a distortion or something. But it kind of sounded like a preamp gain that was like like kind of soft clipping, and it like you know when like something starts to clip a little bit, and it kind of it's called. This is a hard thing to describe until you like know what it is exactly, but the only way I've heard it described is like whenever like distortion kind of folds over on itself. You know what I'm talking about, Sam? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And like you normally will hear that like with guitar distortion and stuff like that. And it's when you I'm not gonna say like a rolling effect, but it just after a while of hearing it, you kind of know when something kind of sounds like it's folding over on itself. And so right. it's like it's like, okay, so it's like the parts where the vocal like really kind of like like dig in. Then um, and any analog gear really starts to add any bit of color to anything for this type of a thing. It's like okay, we'll push that a little bit, and so like like that was in the that was in a, like a little bit of the upper figures. But this song really never went up. I think it's like minus six point eight at like the really really really, and that's that's RMS, um, not peak or lofts or you know any of that nonsense. So um, yeah, so. That's kind of where I thought it was. Client approved it, producer approved it, and we were off to the races. So I I feel like that mental conversation needs to happen as well whenever you're approaching a song of like, like you know when you're public speaking and one of the rules of public speaking is know your audience mm-hmm. and know who you're speaking to. It's like if it's a room full of like elderly people, you're going to address them differently than if it's a room of maybe your peers or even... Um, 
like high school kids or middle school kids or something like that. So you're going to address each crowd differently. So know your audience. And I mean, if you do a checklist, that should kind of be addressed in a lot of the like initial stuff. Do you want to, um, do you want to talk about as far as like in the box versus hardware uh, or do you want to go like a route of does it need to be this loud and how loud is too loud? What way are you kind of thinking for this episode? Um, Sam and I do a lot of pre-planning, if you can tell. <laughs> I wanted to talk. I have some notes here about I have a little... more about why things are loud and not loud. Okay, cool. Just to some few a few ramblings. And then, and then I was thinking about like maybe segueing over because it's like, why can't you make things loud? Right. Like, All right, well, let's kind of you know give a little bit of the farm right. away, I suppose. Um, yeah, so I'm going to do some ramblings here um, about <laughs> loudness and things I've observed that people don't think about often that will help hopefully help framework um, put framework to how to how to make things loud like tricks or tips mm-hmm. techniques. They're not tricks; they're techniques. Um, First thing people don't <clears throat> usually think about is your ear's frequency response. Is it linear to sound? Which a lot of people know, but a lot of people don't know. Which basically means that all sound frequency is not the same to your ear. Um, low end often is less perceived as loud. Uh, we've talked about kind of where Luff's focus is, which is kind of where your ear is most sensitive, the 1K to 5K region, um, is more sensitive to your ear than bottom end. So you have to understand how your ears respond to loudness and what it perceives as loudness and use that sure. to manipulate. Another thing most people don't think about, and this gets in back into the things being more loud more often, uh, in my opinion and based on, I think, I'll say science. I'll be so bold as to say science. Uh, Sustained sounds or things that are more loud more often are perceived as louder uh, in comparison to things that are super dynamic with quick transients. So if you have a song that has lots of quick, uh, fast transients that are dynamic, the ears are actually semi-sluggish. They're very quick but they're also kind of slow on picking things up. And so a song that is more consistently uh, or sustains more loudness more often, our brain begins to interpret that as being louder than a song that has a lot of dynamic range to it with quick movement transients. So those are some things to think about. Um, The other thing I want to say for sure is that loudness is kind of... um, it's kind of a mystery because it has a lot to do with like psychoacoustics from what I've studied. And so sometimes it's really hard to quantify loudness because it's not necessarily, uh, all things are not equal on meters with regards to loudness, which is kind of what I was saying earlier, which is like SPL and LUFS and RMS and DR, dynamic range, it doesn't always give the correct picture of how loud something actually is. Um, you can have something that is within Luff's. I mean, we we know this because you hear songs on Spotify. Let's just use that. And Spotify normalizes everything to negative 14 Luff's um, as their playback is what it says now online. 
which doesn't mean you have to submit it at that level. That's just what mm. they, they're playing it back at. But you still hear differences between song to song. Some of that is the algorithm is not perfect and Luff's is not perfect, but a lot of it has to do with kind of this psychoacoustic phenomenon of loudness, which is depending on how you mix things, how you record things, how you place them, and how the master engineer manipulates frequency ranges, some things will just sound louder than other songs. Um, and that's something that people have to accept. <laughs> like, some songs will sound louder than other songs, um, and why your song may not sound as loud as other songs probably has more to do with the sourcing of how you recorded it, uh, the production arrangement, and the mixing. Uh, those things have way more to do with loudness um, and how you get things loud than just mastering. And I think mastering has really become the scapegoat of like, it's the master engineer's fault if it doesn't sound loud or it's louder than whatever reference I want to be or compete with. I think that's a short-sighted view of thinking about music because mastering is a important, but it's a very small part. There's so many other parts <laughs> in creating music. Like if you want to think of uh, recording as a part, and uh, engineer, you know, recording engineering, production could be a part. Then mixing; those are three. You know, recording or producing, depending on how you're doing it. Uh, mixing, you've got three parts, and then say it goes mastering, which is one part. So say you have four parts. Mastering is one fourth of the equation. Then in this creation process of how things begin to get loud. Um, so the other three fourths, seventy five percent of this process, needs to be really good. Uh, it needs to be recorded, captured really well. Full full frequency needs to be produced really well, arranged well, so that what is being played uh, and recorded lands within the, I'll say, meat and potatoes of music. And then it needs to be mixed um, with a heavy focus and of making it more loud more often. So compression, saturation of the low mids all the <laughs> way up to the kind of highs. And then it gets to mastering. So... In my brain, I feel like people don't realize that loudness starts from the very, the very first uh, performer, whoever's playing an instrument, whoever's singing. That's where loudness starts from. The delivery, the performance starts loudness. And I think when people feel like their song doesn't sound as loud as other songs, a lot of it has to do with um, everything before mastering. And that's a reality people don't want to hmm. uh, acknowledge a lot of the time. And we can only manipulate stuff so much at the mastering stage. Uh, we only have control over the stereo image, the two track essentially, the left and the right. And I'm not sure when people, I mean, I know why or when it happened because the master engineer used to cut things and used to cut things hot to vinyl or whatever and and it was the master engineer's job to really crank volume and do that balance basically with vinyl, which was you either get bass or volume. You pick one or the other, or you find the balance, or you get distortion, or you use fatter vinyl, you know, double disc type stuff to get more bass and more loudness overall um, for vinyl. But I think that people don't people don't understand what makes up loudness. And it's a lot of things. It's not a button. It's not a plug-in. Um, and we can segue now, though, to uh, outboard gear in the box, things that help make things loud if you want to. 
Because there are things we do do, <laughs> do do, to make it loud. Um, this is like a laugh track in the background because yeah. <laughs> you made a poop joke. A poop joke. <laughs> um, yeah. Do you want to start in the box or out of the box? I mean, my approach is kind of similar, honestly, with how I view it. I don't really do a lot as far as loudness is concerned in the box. Yeah. I'm more do... And so I guess this will kind of like take care of my segment of this. Great. As far as in the box is concerned, before I go out of the box, everything in the box is concerned with how that signal will hit the gear. Or if there is something very drastic that needs to change that the... um, I don't know that the that the mix needs. So like I don't know if there's I mean I don't, I don't even know if like <laughs> you're kind of getting into like little ancillary things like if you have like a little tiny wine at like 16k and it's like all right fab filter pro Q3 notch setting let's go ahead and pull that bad guy out. And so it just that's not unless it's intentional it's not something I necessarily want to be hitting uh, the gear. If the low end is just doing something in the sides to where it's not very appropriate for the genre and you know the producer and you know the artist and all that stuff and it's like, I don't know if this is overlooked or whatnot. And so you kind of do like a little bit of a, I don't know, I, I think Plug-in Alliance calls it like a mono maker uh, on the low end. It's just essentially just a like a high pass filter on the sides that just is like, there's no reason that you need like 20 and 30 and, and maybe even up to 40 uh, Hertz in the, in the sides. That is a very genre specific, specific opinion though, because some genres, if you have stuff shooting left to right and whatnot, and then like big cinematic drops and like, like, I don't know, like low end for days in certain areas. It's like, obviously, then that is intentional. You can really tell at the mastering stage when something is intentional and something is not. So just obviously use your best judgment. Um, <clears throat> but it's really like those types of like corrections that happen or just adjustments that happen beforehand. If something's like super transient and it's like, man, gear is not going to make this thing better. And so you just need, I don't know if it's like an instance of Sue that there's like some compression elsewhere or just something needs to happen to tame some things, then that happens. If like, if the level just in general needs to come up, someone sends you a mix at like minus 36 and it's like, as kind of funky as it sounds, that happens quite a bit. And it's like, I, I'll get like rock stuff that's that low. And there's not, and it's like, if you can mix that low, that's fine. I think there's some inherent issues that may happen in regards to, um, like you're kind of like bringing up like noise floors and stuff like that. And like that much of a level increase. Cause if you're, at, if you're like, I don't know, if your verses are like minus seven and you delivered at minus 37, well, that's a large chunk of real estate to bring up and you're going to have to, have you may run into some noise floor issues um, at that point, and there's a few other things you may run into. Um, then after like all those considerations are done and basic metering, just seeing where everything's at, I'll head into the box and we'll talk about that in a I don't know maybe in a second. And then out of the box, it's really just like, hey, is there anything that I want to tweak that? It's like, I'm just kind of like saving this. Like, I love that uh, inflator by like Oxford. 
Um, mm-hmm. That's pretty much on every master. It's not a lot. It's just like a little bit that just adds this like like gorgeous like bloom to things that nothing else does what it does. And so I use it quite a lot, but I use it sparingly. Um, if like just some like things need to be automated or something like that, and it's like I really don't want to rely on gear to do this. So it's like if it's tube gear, and it's like oh, tube gear can sway a little bit, and how like like every time you turn it on, like the values could be like a touch different channel to channel, or like just in general from when you turn it on to like bypassing, could be dropping a dB, could be going up a dB, and so. Whether or not you adjust those every time, it could be different. So it's like, I don't, for recall's sake, it's like, let's just deal with this all in the box. And so it's like, I'd really like, see, like a vocal. It's like, I want this vocal to be a little bit more present here. So either you do it on an EQ, a dynamic EQ. Um, I love that mastery balance, y'all know, from uh, Isotope. And so if like something just needs to happen. And so just like those little like final like touches that just like put like the perfect bow on things. And then, uh, when you have like your final limiter, I don't really make up a lot. It's like I don't really take off a lot of level either. And my final limiter, like maybe there's like 0. 0.3, 0. 0.5 there if I'm not doing automation. Setting your final output level just so it's not going to make the distribution sites cranky. And uh, yeah, just like little like oversampling, little like if I'm going to do that, little tiny things. Um, but as far as loudness is concerned, I would like unless. Unless I was just having a bear of a time in the box and like gear was just like, like, you know, like little tube fart sounds or it's like some part was just like really cranky on the Neve or something. And it's like, ah, I can't get this through. I'll worry about this when I get back in the box. Um, then most of the loudness part is taken care of in the box. What do you, do you want to talk about your in the box stuff at all? Yeah. And then we'll hop to the out of the box. Yeah. My in the box is, um, you know, I love Oxford stuff. We've talked about that before. I'm I'm just really uh, obsessed with stacking stuff still. Like, I was having a conversation today with, with somebody in person at a coffee shop about, they were asking me how I got stuff so loud. And uh, I'm obsessed with... Oh, stacking limiters? Stack, yeah, stacking EQ limiters, EQ limiter. Like, I've yeah. said it before and people don't seem to listen to me. <laughs> on here <laughs> until they try it. Like I've had like three or four people finally do it, even at the mix stage or like tracking stage or whatever they're doing if they want loudness. And it's not... If we I, ever interview Bob Ludwig, <laughs> I'm just going to go in like pre-production, like before you get on the call, be like, yo, just say that your, your, your trick is stacking stuff. Right. But people, and then we'll just credit Bob Ludwig and just completely just nix you out of it. I was just... But I was just literally going to say that what I'm doing isn't new. Like... yeah. When I was into recording uh, more when I started and watched when I was at Mix with the Masters and was watching like Joe Barisi record a band, he everybody's stacking stuff from, yeah. you know, they record it from a mic, it hits a pre, the pre hits, you know, it hits the console, hits the console compressor and EQ, then it goes out to another compressor EQ, then it comes back in, you know, fader, and then it's been stacked. Like it, like stuff has been stacked for a long time. Like mm-hmm. on a console in the analog world, like people would record into the console and then they do an insert and then it hits more gear and then it comes back in and then it goes to tape or goes to Pro Tools now, you know, or whatever DAW you're using into the computer. And then sometimes you do more plugins on top of that. Like <clears throat> most people are stacking things. And by, by the time it gets to me, it's probably been stacked like 10 times already. So I'm just kind mm-hmm. of a. Uh, applying the same idea. I think at the mastering stage, it's just kind of been um, 
you know, my method of bo- always boosting basically till my problems go away and whatever. I think my method of, of doing what I do is a bit unique. And of course, how I hear things is a bit unique. But it's not a, there's no real secrets. So in the box, um, you know, if I was mastering all in the box, which is once again how I started my whole career before I had gear, um, you know, I would stack EQ to limiter, EQ to limiter. And or Oxford EQ limiter, EQ limiter, like, and just adjust as needed um, based on my ears of trying to balance things out, get loudness, balance out loudness, and using things in steps as opposed to letting, you know, one thing try and do it all, which never works out well because, um, you know, limiters are only so fast on recovery. Um, and so, it's better to do two limiters taking off one dB each than one limiter taking off two dB because the recovery is not as quick as it can be. Um, so I found in the box, you could give me any stock EQ to start with, and that's where I'm going to start, is balancing out mm. the song EQ-wise in the box. Um, I love Logic's stock linear phase EQ. I use it all the time still. Uh, Fab Filters EQ is fine it's with me. It's hilarious how much you use it. <laughs> I know, I just... I don't. I, there's no issues with it. Like it's a good EQ. It's great EQ. I have no issues with it. Um, I really like. Uh, sometimes I will use the SSL channel strip on mastering in the box um, because mm-hmm. I like the EQ curves on it. Um, I love the 8K standard where the SSL defaults to on the top end. It's always 8K. Um, mm-hmm. on the boards and that's kind of the iconic sound of an SSL is 8K and like CLA the mixer talks about that all the time of like the sound of hits is like 8K <laughs> like the top end because that's just the sound of that hits. was just like the most it's the most convenient spot because that's where the top end defaults like it's you, you know it's eight starts at 8K so you just start cranking the gain instead of moving the frequency um, you know when you're tracking quickly and whatnot you often just kind of start cranking things. Um, so I think, you know, for me, I'm all about, you know, give me an EQ to balance stuff out. Um, I'm, I usually will address bottom end first because that eats up the most headroom. So I want to, you know, if I'm in the box trying to either shelf, add things or subtract things, um, I'm rarely subtracting. I'm usually adding. So if there's too much low end, then I'll, I'll add mid to top instead of subtracting low end. Um, I just do that because I find it keeps the characteristic of the low end that's been approved, keeps it a bit more like boomtastic to me um, than shelving it down. So that's kind of how I start, you know, in the box. And the other thing I really like in the box I've talked about before is the Tokyo Dawn Limiter Gentleman's Edition. Um, I like stacking that in different orders. You can stack, uh, you get like a high frequency, you get a compressor, high frequency limiter, uh, a clipper, a peak limiter, and then it has a final limiter. It's almost like five stages of stacking. Um, that plug-in that my buddy Matt Huber turned me on to a mixer, actually. Um, I'm obsessed with that plug-in. I think it's a workhorse of an in-the-box tool and for someone who likes stacking, I can rearrange those things in multiple ways to start to get general loudness, to get things more loud more often and balanced quickly before I head out of the box. So those are really my things I'm stoked on in the box. Love the Oxford stuff. Love Logic Linear EQ. Love Tokyo Dons. 
uh, limiter, um, stuff like that. So those are my in-the-box things. So Transition switch into hardware. Hardware.com. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you want to go first? Or do you want me to go first? Um, I can go first real quick. Sure. Yeah, if you're on a roll. Yeah, let me just roll out here, and then you can roll and wrap. Um, hardware, same approach, stacking, except I like to limit first on my hardware. Uh, I love Better Maker Limiter. I like to limit first. I like to EQ after that. Mass Passive, Poltex, SL, Blackline. But how do you make it loud, Sam? I make it loud. We know your chain. We just had a gear episode. I make it loud by taking off like, well, depending on where the mix is, most stuff I get is already pretty loud, meaning it's compressed. Mm -hmm. So I will um, usually limit it a bit more, like a dB or something. And then I will hit it. Usually when people deliver me things that are really loud, Usually it's lacking low end and body because they've used they've abused a limiter at the mix stage that has first attacked the bottom end like you were talking about earlier. So then I'll usually do like a shelf at 45 or 60, add back in bottom end, then it starts to feel full. Then I'll hit it with another limiter compressor, which then kind of glues it and rebalances it all. Because it allows me, when I'm stacking stuff, it allows me to be more aggressive because I know I'm about to hit another thing that's going to start attenuating again. And it may seem counterproductive, but it is not. Um, so it kind of rebalances it back again. And then at that stage, um, I'll usually do a, uh, like I call it like the speaker filler, which is somewhere either saturation EQ, multiband, something focused on the... 300 to 5K area. Um, mm. And I'll do something there. And that, because it's already been compressed uh, like once already and limited and or limited and then EQ'd. And then by adding that bottom end EQ, it's adding extended harmonics to that area I'm about to address, which is like the 300 to 5K area. So that area is starting to get fatter already just because of the overtones from the bottom end I'm cranking. So that starts to make that section sound louder already. Then um, I limit and then work on that section. And then that comes back in the box. And then it's really loud. <laughs> That's mm. it. That's it. Like You have to make sure your song is, is full, really. You have to make it full. And most people's songs are not full. And that is how you make something loud, is you've got to have the bottom end knocking, which most people will just make it really loud in the bottom end, but then they lose so much headroom. And then the compressor yep. starts pumping. So you have to find that balance. Or you have to adjust your compression or limiter's attack setting. The amount of times I've told people, hey, I think your attack's too fast. That's why it's pumping. Mm -hmm. And they go back. And they adjust their attack and they're like, oh my gosh, the song sounds so loud now, <laughs> you know, or so big. You know, that start using your attack and release. It stops. would be loud and it would be big. Right. Because <laughs> you're allowing <laughs> more to come through. Yeah. Um, 2022, that should be your goal. Learn your attack release stops. So that's my general approach. Like it's not, it's super complicated in that I've learned how to hear this and know how do I get every song to this stage to make it work. But it's really quite simple. You know, it's all about balance and understanding how frequencies work and then understanding how speakers spit sound back out. And that's probably a whole different episode. 
I'm going to end it there and hand off to okay. you. Um, as far as I, how I make things loud, um, I really like just everything about the output stage of my very mu mm -hmm. by Manly. I love the Manly variable mu. And I think it's pretty good. If I need like some meat, yo, that like input stage is pretty nice, but it's like you're like two dB per click. And so I was like, eh, unless like I want to dial it back somewhere. But normally I won't use that, but the the input stage of that is pretty delicious. And then kind of like piggybacking on what Sam said, I use my massive passive as kind of like a sausage maker and mm -hmm. it's just like it's literally like all the meat it's a meat machine man and so like if you just need I, th I think I actually call it like the mid machine and so like if you just need like you don't know that you need like 390 or 820 or 560 until you use the manly massive passive it's pretty darn nice you never knew a 1k shelf just <laughs> sounded so nice yep. until you use that guy so, <clears throat> so I'll use that. I really like it. And in earlier episodes, uh, Sam would always say that he was a booster and I would say that I was a cutter. And I don't know the last time that I cut as far as EQ was Ooh. concerned. Um, I kind of just, I, I, I don't booze until my problems go away. I mean, I make sure that I don't have any problems to begin with, <laughs> but... Uh, I'm definitely going to like sweeten some stuff up with boosting. And if I have to cut, it's going to be like just like very surface level cosmetic stuff. I'm not going to be doing anything crazy, but I don't really know the last time I did that. Um, if it needs to have meat, it's going get, to get hit with the massive passive. The Masalik uh, MEA2 is kind of like, I don't know, if you ever just like, like kind of point at something and it's just like, <laughs> I want more of you. And it's like, okay, cool. Well, that vocal is 2K to 2.4. We're going to do a shelf of, or not a shelf, we're going to do a bell of Q4, Q6 kind of area. So pretty darn chunky. And then you just kind of boop it up and it's just kind of nice. But I use that more times than not in mid-side and it just has this like really fun 3D effect. Um, so that really doesn't do much for loudness. Um the API 2500 that I left out of the gear episode, I don't use it a lot, a lot, but if I need something that's just like thwacking or needing to thwack and can kind of like afford the API tone, then I'll use that. And that mother trucker gets loud. It's really nice. It's got fun headroom and it's just for days lovely. Um, also that like parallel mode, mm -hmm. it's like there's two modes. There's like a crossfeed mode where you can like blend um, blend back the compressed signal, but then there's like a parallel mode that's like a second, or I guess a third mode. You have the regular, you have the cross, and then you have the parallel to where you like set your compression and like you do like crazy junk with it, and then you blend it in from zero. And so, like, you have two signals that you're blending together and like to include like full volume wise, not just tone. And so it's like, yeah, it's like if you dial it to like 20%, well, you're dialing in 20% more level. And so it's like, holy crap. <laughs> and so I think one of them, 
is using the output stage and you're blending in the input, and then the other is you're using the input and you're blending in the output. And then the not the the regular mode is just you're just compressing. Um, so if you need some thwackage, if you need some level, like holy moly, that thing is delicious. And if you need to stay clean, um, I generally all, next all like and I don't use like all these together. It's like if I just use the very mu and the massive passive, then that's a perfect day. Um, like I can have like the foot control systems and the Neve. I have those stacked. Um, like how I just said it. And uh, if I need a little bit of compression, I'll do that with the foot control systems. And then I'll kind of set the Neve and then I'll drive the output gain of the foot control systems. And it's like, you really don't want to hear any compression you would be doing with it. So you kind of like drive that into the Neve and then the Neve just kind of like absorbs it in this gorgeous way. The level on the Neve is insane. And it's just like, I think it's 120 volt rails and it just sounds darn lovely. <laughs> Um, even if you're going to like clip it, like if a song can like take it and like, you're not going to get a complaint from a client, you could totally get it into like the little like farty hardware range. Um, let's see the MPL two. That's always at like input gain a plus one. So that's like an automatic plus one there. I do absolutely nothing with the input and output gain of the manly backbone, but and like whenever you insert that, it no longer is like a passive insert switcher. And so I kind of like it to be passive. Mm -hmm. So it kind of stays like that. And then I don't know, like by the end, like like you do like very mu, massive, passive, you get like the meat and all that stuff. You do like a little bit with the Neve. You like well, you're just kind of like adding a little bit of vibe. Um and uh like taming anything on the back end with the Masalik or anything else. And it's like, just like kind of through the whole, like, I don't know, that's like the whole like stackage kind of a deal. So like, I don't know, compress EQ, EQ if I want, and then like tone box. And then like, I'm really big on not having like a crazy harsh sounding top end, but like while letting it kind of breathe. And so I have like a few things I can do on the top end to really kind of like smooth them out. And then yeah, like I said, rebuilding the box. And so I love how different we are on this. I know I've said it a million times, but I really love how different we are on this. And I think it kind of makes for a fun duo. I agree. So that's what I do to make things out. Also, I smack the shit out of my AD. Like I love smacking the crap out of like my analog to digital converter. So, um, and I love the crane song head. I have the quantum. And fun fact about the Quantum, if you have the DSP out, then it's going to pass on your overs or your clipping to whatever is next in line, whether that's like a what are they, PCI card or something or your DAW or whatever. Mine goes from my Quantum to my Hilo, which talks to the computer. And so that means that the Hilo would be clipping. And if y'all know me, I don't like when my Hilo clips. So... Um, but it, I think it is kind of more punchy than the head. So sometimes I will use that if I can, if Ooh. I can kind of afford it. But if you have the DSP engaged and just like a little bit of like either pentode or tape, then it's the, the head just going to completely eat every over. I don't think I've ever heard it distort. However, if you do have any bit of the triode in like engaged and you are kind of running things a bit hot, man, that thing gets nasty it does not like it at all it's like the weirdest sound of like clipping i've heard so i don't recommend doing that but like also like that's like only considering like 
there, there's like that process knob. And so it's where you want the DSP to like be like engaged on. Do you want it to be on the DA side? Do you want it to be on the AD side? Then there's a few other like options, like like the digital side or the analog side as well. I have my DSP as like the last thing that happens before everything goes to the computer. So if I want to add a, like a little bit of pentode kind of like as a nice kind of midfield blue, I actually have it. Let me turn it up a little bit. So this is actually on my voice. If you hear it right now, <laughs> that's the pentode all... Oh, wait, hold on. I don't have it engaged. Hold on. I'm, I'm going to do this right now because I have the hardware engaged. So the pentode, as I turn it up, you can hear like a little bit more treble of my voice kind of thing. And then with the tape, it kind of just, I don't know, kind of does that weird kind of curve where like the bottom gets fat and the top kind of shelves off. So, and then that's nothing engaged. So, anywho... It's kind of nice, but anytime you do that, it just absorbs your overs. So I think I'm done. Love it. Are you done? I think I'm done. I'm done. I feel like that's a great spot. I think that's a great spot. So if you like what you heard today, do what Sam said. Go and share this episode, please, on Instagram, Facebook, wherever you're at. Go over to iTunes, wherever you're listening to, and give this some likes, some stars comments would be awesome i love stars i think we have like 72 stars or something mm-hmm, i don't mm-hmm. know every time i go into my podcast or this podcast i like click on the stars be like can i give it some more and it will never let me but anyway if you want to give us some stars that would be awesome if you would like a mastering engineer sam can be found at moses mastering i can be found at for the record mastering and this sweet beat that you heard i didn't forget about it <laughs> was created by the one and only lovely Sam Moses. If you would like a beat, you can buy one or just listen to all of them and just kind of vibe out for an afternoon <laughs> at beesabeats.com. Go buy Sam's beats. Anywho, I think that's what we got for today's episode. You got anything else, bud? That's it. Cool. Morning, afternoon, evening, whatever y'all are having, have a darn good one. Appreciate y'all hanging out with us for the past hour. Mm-hmm. See y'all. Cue the music. Cue it. Bye.